advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and is a propitiation of, for all our sins, and not for ours, but only, but also for the whole world. Guidelines for, of gratitude this morning is from Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Let's continue in our worship, and please stand. We can worship God as we sing together.
seated. At this time, we'll receive our morning tithes and offerings. Steve, you want to share with us about God of grace and God of glory? God of Grace and God of Glory was written by Henry H. Fosdick in 1930. It was set to the tune composed in 1907 by John Hughes. The scriptural background for this hymn is Esther 4.14. Mordecai was responding to Queen Esther concerning Haman's plan to kill all the Jews. He said, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you may have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day and for the wonderful blessings you've given us. I praise you, Lord, for these folks who give out of their hearts because they love you and they give themselves also to you. Jesus, just bless their gifts for your glory. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we are so grateful we can come before you in this free country and to speak, Lord, before you in prayer. That we have no fear of anything that is said in this church, Lord, that we could be arrested for. We give you praise for the freedoms that we have. And we thank you, God, for also the blessings of life that you've given to us. I thank you, Heavenly Father, too, for the opportunities that we have to share it. I pray for our government, Lord, our officials, that you will help them, Father, that they will hear your voice and do truly what is right. 
like our early founding fathers. And that the lobbyist and all that stuff will cease. And that the truth will come forward and freedom will truly reign. We pray also too for the men and women who put their lives on the line every day to keep us safe. And that watch over us, Lord, and come in those crisis moments to help us sort it out and get it fixed and protect us. We come to you today for many situations. We think about Michigan State University and the three students that were gunned down and the others, the five that are still wounded. We pray also, too, for my brother's school and a little girl who tried to jump off a building to end her life. We pray for her healing, Lord. I pray for a young man who fell off a balcony at K-State, Lord, and for his healing and to return to full health and strength. And Father, we bring to you, too, a gal by the name of Bree Wallace, 24 years old, who um, had a stroke. Pray for her healing. I pray for a marriage, Lord, that, Lord, we pray that you will reverse what is going on and bring healing to that home, that we restore that home. I pray, Father God, too, for Doug Isley, who's got some severe issues in his body. I think of Todd and his heart, for healing for it, and the doctors can fix his heart. For his wife, Angie, who's battling cancer throughout her body. For Mark, who adopts, who's got brain cancer. And for Samantha Mama, a little 17-year-old battling cancer of her brain. Lord, we know that you have the power to heal. Bring it, Lord. We pray for Dean, who's struggling with his health. And we pray also too, Father God, <coughs> for um, Barbara's family, as uh, Barb Daly passed away this week, that you'll be with her family. I pray also too you'll be with Bob, who just retired, and just watch over him, God. We pray, Father God, for others that we know of that are struggling with their health. We think of Bill and Evelyn and Lucille and Karen and Kay and Joyce as they're shut in right now because their health is not well <clears throat> and they can't get around as well as they could. I pray for people that we know that are addicts. <clears throat> we pray for their healing. I pray for Ryan and for Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch for Ryan, Lord, I pray that he can finally get it together. And for Jordan, Lord, for his finishing out his treatment, that he will really, truly follow the plan. And Lord, there's other people in our minds and in our hearts that we're concerned for. I pray for my <clears throat> brother's girlfriend who broke her wrist. Bring healing to her. Now, Father, as we come before your word... Speak to us, Lord, because we want to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest challenges of our lives 
is not to become embittered. It's very easy to become embittered, especially when you've been hurt, whether it is because of marriage stresses or family problems or rejection, abuses, loneliness, misunderstandings. Even church conflicts can cause bitterness. We know that one of the problems with bitterness is that when it takes hold of a person, it can easily find itself being the filter through which everything a person sees and views, whether it's a relationship with God or a relationship with other people, and that it begins to affect it very drastically. David says that we are not to yield to that temptation because weeping, yes, may endure for a night. And we're to take the time to grieve things. But then he says joy comes in the morning with the Lord. Now we've been watching Israel as they've gone through this long ordeal. If you remember back when Joseph was second in command in Egypt, he got them very much privileged And they were taken care of and they were fully blessed. We saw, though, that changed drastically over 400 years. And that God allowed that so that they could be toughened. And that also that they could grow from 70 people to over 2 million. We saw how reluctantly and how God had first brought a little child into the world By faith, a couple risked it, could have been killed, and was taken in out of the bulrushes and was taken care of by his own mother, and she was paid for it, how God providentially cared for her and for him. And then when the time came when he became mature, that he was handed over to Pharaoh's daughter, who saw him, and he was given the best education in the world at that time. One of the blessings that we have from it is that he wrote the largest section of the Bible, Matthew, I mean, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, because he was a good, skilled writer. And he got that from the Egyptians. But then God had him get himself into trouble and had to run for his life and wound up having to take care of sheep for 40 years. And they have to listen to them and deal with their stubbornness. And he was being prepared to deal with the children of Israel who were very stubborn people. And also, too, to deal with a Pharaoh. And then God called him back and he was very reluctant to do that. He didn't want to do it. And yet, the Bible says to us, even though he was appointed a helper, his brother Aaron, he really did most of the speaking to Pharaoh. And then we came to last week where God finally got the ten plagues. And the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn son and Pharaoh lost his own firstborn son. That he wound up releasing the children of Israel to go to Canaan. And we saw how God had set it up so that they wouldn't go along the side of the Mediterranean Sea because they were going to have war and battles all the way up the sea. And that was the fastest way to get to Canaan. But they were going to go through the desert. 
Not only were they going to go to the desert, but then God backed them up to the Red Sea. And here they saw when Pharaoh changed his mind, he was coming at them, they panicked. They complained to God. But God, who is faithful, provided for them to watch Moses part the Red Sea. And that they walked in on dry land and the, the Egyptians couldn't get at them because a pillar was dividing them. Until they all got across, all two million of them. And then on the other side, he then let them, the Egyptians, come. And they came and they didn't realize that Israel was being used. They didn't understand this, that God was using them as the bait to bring the Egyptian army in to the water so he could drown them and protect them and not have to deal with the Egyptians anymore. That's God's planning. That's God, his provision. You see, they didn't understand it. They, see, they didn't see things by faith. They had a hard time with it. And this week, we finally come to the point where they're on the other side of the, uh, of the Red Sea now. And they're celebrating. And of course, Moses provides them with a beautiful psalm of how God delivered them. And it's a reminder. And God usually always gives a reminder like this, a psalm like this, a song... So that we remember what God is, because it's so easy to forget it and then lose our faith again and not trust God. And so Moses writes this beautiful psalm and it says, Who is like, the Lord, like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deed, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth has swallowed them up. And you... Have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have been redeemed. You have guided them <clears throat> by your strength to your holy abode. Moses realizes and he's excited. He wants them to remember this wonderful gift that God has given, this miraculous thing. And we know everybody likes a winner. How many of us watched on TV as over a million people crowded Union Station this past week? Over the guys in red who won the Super Bowl. And everybody wants to attach themselves now to the winner. They like that. We want to be part of it. And that's okay. And they were celebrating. In fact, Miriam, Moses' sister, she was a prophetess and she jumps on the bandwagon and they celebrate and with tambourines. And women went after her with tambourines and dancing and they were celebrating. A very big Jewish ritual that happens. If you ever want to go to a Jewish service, go on 37th Street at Helping Hands on Friday night. And you will see the women dance. They dance the song of what Miriam danced, of thanksgiving to God. And this is also seen in Psalm 90, I believe. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. And here we see the picture of God. Moses paints this beautiful picture of God and how great he is. And what a wonderful deliverer he is for you and for me. And the challenges that he allows us to get, but that he's always there by our side. And that he's a victor. He's a warrior. You know, it's interesting that the church for a while, back in the day, in the 60s and 70s, and almost up until about probably 15 years ago, Hymn books were being written and they were taking some hymns off, out of the hymn books. One of the hymns was Onward Christian Soldiers, because they felt that it was too militant. 
God was warlike. We don't want that kind of God. Well, let me tell you, I want God to be a warrior. I want him to fight for my battles. I want him, when the Bible says this in, in Ephesians chapter 6, that you and I are not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting principalities and powers that the devil has set up in order to affect our lives. We are affected by culture. And he is using culture to destroy the church and the world. He's bringing things that should never be that the Bible says should never be. And he's brought it into our culture. And we're seeing it day after day. The slush that is there. And we need a warrior God. And that's what Moses says. God's our warrior. He wins the battle for us. He gives us the strength to go into battle. And that we should be grateful. And the song of the sea that he's written is about the triumph victoriously God has provided Israel to win against the Egyptians. And that God is the warrior God, the great victor. And he's the guarantee of our salvation and Israel's salvation. And so here we have it. This beautiful picture of who God is and how he fights with us and for our battles. And Moses is very personal. He says, I and my, because he knows God is his Savior along with the rest of Israel. And that Miriam is dancing because she sees the victory that God has given. And all the people of Israel have jumped on the bandwagon. They're excited. And they should be. Because what God has delivered them from is surely wonderful. But there's always a glitch. God, the sovereign warrior who blew down and brought the judgment on Egypt in his song, he also doesn't finish it. But you see, what he does, and this is the beautiful part about this beautiful psalm, he just doesn't talk about the past. And that's one of the reasons why we keep our heads in the Word and we learn history and we see how God's provision has been for us as Americans, but also to look at the Israelite story. And he moves it from a past tense of what God did in the Red Sea, and now he moves into a future tense in verse 13. And that future tense is talking about when they're going to battle in Canaan, and when they're going to fight the battles that they're going to have to fight in order to take the land of Canaan. For Joshua to take over Jericho, and to fight those battles and get the victory, it's the same God. And he wants to remind us that this God who gave us the victory and gave them the victory in the Red Sea is also going to be the victor that's going to give us the victory in our own lives every day against the battles that you and I have. The temptations, the sins, the, the culture that's trying to squash our faith. And to follow him and to get the victory from him. And he uses a play on words. He uses this rock. He says that the Egyptians were defeated and they sank like rocks or stones in the water. And then he talks about the Canaanites in the future. Who are they going to be like stones and they're going to be able to victory, be victorious over them. And they're not going to be able to move against Israel. And that they show that God is the one who's victorious. And that he will promise us. His majestic holiness, his awesome glory, his power and wonders are shown to us. 
through what has been done here. And Israel needs to remember that. Because you see, this isn't the only battle they're going to face. There's a future. And yet that song is to carry them through those difficult times. And one of the difficulties that slaves have is, as you know, they went through difficult times when they were slaves. How difficult is it when you're free to live? That's tough. How do we live as free? How does the person who comes and is an addict continue to live his life now that he's free from his addiction and not find himself going back to it? See, Moses wrote this. And God had inspired Moses to write it, to inspire the people of God to realize that they need to depend on God and they can trust Him. And that they are to obey His law and they'll be victorious. He'll give them the strength. This psalm again is used later on and the phrases are used from the psalm. When Isaiah speaks about Assyria, and Babylonians who had run over the Israelites and Judeans. And that he would provide the victory for those captives. That's what God does. And he frees us in our own lives as we battle the difficulties of our lives. Think about some of the battles that you go through during the day. The challenges that you have in your freedom. Do you find you go self go back to some of the slave attitudes and ideas? Or are you truly free in Christ? The book of Revelations. This psalm is used in the book of Revelations about the deliverance of promising the deliverance of the tribulation of the saints that they're going through at the end of times. And we're free in Jesus Christ. No longer slaves to sin, but victorious. And how we can allow and not allow those circumstances, those situations, the difficulties that we're in now, not take us back and bring us back to the old ways, but dealing with it in the new light of Jesus Christ. You know, and that takes a lot of depth of soul. When David says in Psalm, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Folks, we're talking about going deep below our subconscious minds. Not allowing ourselves to feed into the frenzy that sin promises us a fast way, a safe way, a nice way to feel vindicated. And that we can have the victory in Jesus Christ and honor Him. The other day I 
we're going to be looking at what the Reformed Church is requiring for us. And some of the things that the committee has suggested that we do. And also, I read over again what happened here that night. And I realized that, Lord, I need to trust you here. Because the old Dave wants to be vindictive. That Dave still has a little bitterness towards what happened. And that Dave needs to change that heart. And I need to say what is, needs to be said, but I need to do it in a loving and a Christ-like manner. And be victorious. And that I don't try to get my pound of flesh out of that person or the persons. But I walk like you do Christ. And not give in to my desire <laughs> to retaliate. And that let me let you heal my hurt. After giving myself 40 years, plus eight years of education, nine years of education, to be have some things said about me that are not true. Lord, give me strength. And put on your love, Christ, in my heart. So that I can honor you, Christ, in this. And that the truth will come out. You see, God gives us those victories. We need you to depend on those are the battles that we can't handle on ourselves. It has to be Christ who does it and his Holy Spirit. You see, because even in the thrill of victory, there comes more trials. Then Moses made Israel sit out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink water at Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitterness. And the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now, <clears throat> An American pastor by the name of Philip Brooks, who you probably know him by, I think, Little Town of Bethlehem, he wrote. But he once said, do not pray for easy lives, Christians. Pray for to be strong men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. And that's depending on God. To be able to go into these battles and truly live for him. And that you and I are in this life. It's a school. It's a training ground. And it's a test. 
There are tests that will come all the time. And that we should expect trials. Now, just because Israel had made it through the Red Sea and they thought that was a tremendous victory, it doesn't stop. Because right around the corner, three days later, comes another trial. Andy Reeves can rejoice in the victory that they had a week ago. <laughs> but even while they were celebrating, there were people looking for other people to replace people on the chiefs to make them better. And Andy Reed, this week, has been going over films to see what worked and what didn't work and why they're doing That's what they do. Because they know it's going to be tougher next year. And that we can't settle on one victory and say it's all over. Because there's more trials to come. And here we got it. They needed water. Three days they'd been out traveling through the desert and they didn't have any water. And it's understandable they start to panic, but what do they do? And rather than, like Moses, go to God... They complain. They complain about the water. It's bitter. Come on. Why are you going to leave us out here to be famished without any good water? You see, the tests show what's inside of us. It reveals who we really are. And the devil loves to tempt us to draw us to be the worst people we are and to dishonor God. But God sends tests to reveal to us who we are and our need to trust Him through the trials. And the Israelites had become experts at complaining. And oh, they would basically have illusions how great it was in Egypt with the food that they had and everything. And they forgot about the beatings and the, the harshness of their slavery. And Moses had the right approach. He got on his knees before God and God gave him wood. That threw it into that water that turns the brackishness into wonderful tasting water. And some people believe that it really is an uangalizomai, which means a pre-gospel for us. That in the bitternesses of life, the cross of Jesus Christ is there for us to take those bitternesses and that we trust Christ and be freed from the bitterness of life and to trust Him through whatever we're going through and that He will lead us safely to the other side. And what God does in our lives, and what we've seen with the Israelites, He provides us with balance. He gives us opportunities for pleasure and joys that we can experience. But He also gives us trials and temptations. Or trials and, and testings, not temptations, but testings. So that we can grow in our faith for Christ. And that the Holy Spirit, who's the teacher, can teach us. And that we can sometimes follow these, fall into these great problems and let them overtake us. Or can see them as opportunities to give God glory. And they're all part of God's plan. To grow us. To grow us more like Jesus Christ, he says in Romans chapter 8 verse 29. 
And that when we murmur, we're failing to test. Difficulties will come in our lives. And we can be like the little boy who was sent to the closet every time he disobeyed and didn't want to do it his mother and father's way. And one day his mother came to the closet to let him out and he was, she said, well, what are you doing? Because he had spit on all their clothes. He was angry. He was spitting on their clothes to ruin them. And she said, what are you doing? He says, I'm trying to get more saliva up. He was still in rebellion to what they wanted him to do. And you see, God wants us to trust him, to let him give us the victory and be healed. And of course, a few days later, again, the children of Israel, they start grumbling again. We need food. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this assembly with hunger. Here God had given them the water, and now they needed food. And guess what? They don't trust them. They're still not believing that he can provide for them. It's kind of like the disciples. Jesus just fed 5,000. And they get in the boat and they start heading across the sea. And guess what? They say, we, need, we have nothing to eat. Here he just fed 5,000. What have you done for us lately, Lord? Here's the Israelites. And they still didn't trust God for their needs. They barked at Moses and Aaron. They grumbled. They didn't grab a hold of the promise that God would provide for them. Like Moses did. We see that happen with a lot of strong Christians. The book of Job. Toward the end of Job, Job gets pretty tired. He's worn out. And one of the things he says in his frustration with God, I'd like to meet with him and tell him a few things. I've heard that before by some people. <laughs> and then when he sees God, he's overwhelmed and realizes how foolish a statement it was. And you know, we have to be careful in our own lives. That there come points of hard time, that things come in our way that are irritating. And we can let them irritate us or we can give them over to the Lord. It's like the story of the oyster. You know, oysters, when they get a piece of sand, a little grain of sand inside their shell... It's an irritant. And they continue to work at it and work at it and work at it and until they develop a pearl. <laughs> That's where pearls come from. 
And we have to ask ourselves, is there an irritant in your life, in my life, that I'm letting it irritate me to the point where I'm not developing a plural? Is there a way, God, that I can develop that irritant or that irritating person or that irritating situation so that I can develop a pearl for you, God? That I can show you. Maybe God's put that irritant in your life for a purpose. I mean, the Israelites had irritating sand all through the desert. And the question comes, are we going to allow it to hurt us, make us angry, become bitter with God? Are we going to let God work in us to change the situation? Jesus told us and promised us that in this world you will have tribulation. In Hebrews we hear the chapter 11, the heroes of faith. And all the things that they went through. And yet, by faith, they overcame. The couple did a study called, and, and they called the book The Candles of Eminence. And they dealt with 300 people throughout history that were great and prominent people. And what they found is. They had hard lives. Hard lives when they were young. In fact, three-fourths of them had trouble with poverty, growing up in poverty. 74 of the 85 writers of fiction. Those peoples had tremendous psychological drama in their lives. There were people who had physical blindnesses and handicaps and deafness. But that didn't stop them. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale made a very funny statement one time. And this is a reminder to all of us. That the only people who do not have any problems are those that are in cemeteries. And that we don't allow the bitterness to grab a hold of us. And that we let God stay in control. In 1997, the U.S. government put together a task force for the Department of Transportation of building roads that would guide our cars and take us to where we wanted and we wouldn't even have to worry about it. And Mike Doble, who was a, from Buick, said the thing that we had the biggest problem with it was not the technology. But he said people letting go of the control. And how true that is of us as humans. Our dilemma is letting God be in control. Letting him have our lives. And doing what he wants us to do. And this was Israel's problem with Egypt. Even after they left. He brought them so far. And the pattern in all of our lives is we see it with Israel. God makes the promise. And then he tests our faith in that promise. And then 
He looks for our obedience. And then he grants us the blessing. Am I willing to trust God? His promise. And will I be obedient to that? Will I stand the test? You know, the test shows what's inside of us. Whether or not we really trust God. When I was in schooling and I didn't like testing at all. But how do you know what you know until you're tested for it? Students always grumble about a test. But that's the way we really know if we know our stuff. It needs to be tested and tried. We don't need to know where it's coming from in our hearts, in our lives. The quality and devotion that we have to God and Christ, is it really there? How do we know it's there? We can say it all we want. But it doesn't mean that it's there. There was a young officer by the name of Lieutenant Blanford in World War II who started receiving letters from a woman who was very encouraging. And he shared with her in these letters back and forth. And she got the idea from a friend that they went down to the local veterans administration and got a hold of some of the soldiers and they wrote encouraging notes to them every week. They felt they could do something for the war. And so what they did is they wrote these letters. He shared how scared he was. But she said how brave he was and encouraged him and said that God was with her, with him as he walked through the valley of the shadow of death in the battles that he was in. And one day, <laughs> he's looking forward to the day when he was going to be released from the military. And he wrote her and said, I'm coming back home and I would like to meet you. Is there a place that we can meet? That I can express my gratitude and take you out to dinner? And she said, well, Sure. And so they set the date. And that day he was looking forward to it. Because her heart had so pulled him in. He didn't even know what she looked at. She never sent a picture. He didn't know what she looked like. And they were to meet and she was to have a rose in her hand. When they met. At this restaurant. And he was standing outside the restaurant waiting. And as he was standing at the front of the restaurant, this beautiful woman comes walking by. But she's got a yellow flower on. And she was gorgeous. But he knew that wasn't the woman. And then... About 40 feet behind her is coming this lady was about 30 years older than him and was gray and broken down 
and hardly moving too fast towards him, but had a rose in her hand. And he saw her coming, and his heart kind of slumped because he was hoping that this girl that he would be with was pretty like that one that passed by. And maybe, just maybe, they could have a relationship because she had such a beautiful heart. And as the woman approached, he said to her, Ma'am, I'm Lieutenant Blanford, and you must be Miss Maynell. She smiled and said, No. He said, But I want to take you to dinner. That was our agreement. She smiled at him. And she said, no, I'm not Miss Maynell. She's the beautiful lady that just passed you. And she wanted to see if you were willing, no matter what I looked like, to take me out to dinner. She said it was a pest. And you passed the test. Because you were willing to ask me out for dinner. And she waved to the woman and gave her the thumbs up. And he went in and had supper with that woman. Because it showed that he truly was a genuine person. That's what God's doing with us. He wants to see our genuine love to him. As he proves his faithfulness to us. And that we don't throw in the towel, but we don't give up. But we trust him. And you see, that's what happened with Israel. God wanted her to pick up, and he provided her with food. But it was on a special terms. And it all depended on obedience. And they were not obedient. There were some of them who said, well, I'll collect today and tomorrow, so I don't have to come out here tomorrow. And they didn't listen. God said, pick it up in the morning, the bread. And in the evening, you pick up the meat, the quail. And some of them didn't obey. And then they wonder why the next day when they went to go get it, it was moldy, mildewing, stenching, because they weren't obedient. They weren't willing to trust God at his word. And it teaches us here that we need to trust Christ and feed on his word. And that part of the journey is that the Lord said to them, Behold, I am the rain bread from heaven, and the people shall gather the portion of the day every day, that I might test them whether they will walk in the law or not. And that as soon as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of the people of Israel looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared to them in a cloud. I've heard the grumbling of the people. At twilight the meal, they shall eat meat. And in the morning they shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He wanted them to trust him. And even then they couldn't obey right away. They need to be taught another lesson. And we see that here. In the word today. That every day... We need to feed on 
and get the nourishment we need for today from God's Word. Because tomorrow or the next day, this what we hear here today is not going to feed us and help us by the time Thursday comes around. We're going to be beat up by the world. And God knew that with the children of Israel and he wanted them to learn how to daily get fed from God. And we need to be fed by God every day. Because the world will bring all kinds of stuff at us. And God knows the rhythm that we have in our lives. And that we need rest. That's why he provided the Sabbath. As a day for us to rest and refresh ourselves in Christ. And that obedience to him is dramatic. And the Bible here then tells us that we need to stand and trust him. Even with the immediate pleasures that the world comes to bring us that we choose for the eternal blessings. Yes, there's nothing wrong with having pleasures and enjoying life. But we need to continue to trust him through those also. How many people have you seen destroy their lives because they've gone for immediate pleasures? Marriages that get destroyed. For as Christians, we need to rid ourselves of the self-indulgent trust Christ. To develop a sense of daily dependence on Christ every day as we pray, as we feed on his word. In fact, the Bible tells us that that bread that was sent was from heaven. The angels provided it for the children of Israel. And they still didn't obey God right away. And yet God proved his faithfulness. He stood the test. Now each one of us have our tests every day. You find yourself trusting God. The Bible is full of God's faithfulness. Are you willing to trust him? I don't know what God has in store for our country. In fact, I'm very fearful for it. A lot of people talk about the end of times, but I'm not so sure it'll be the end of times. It might be the end for America. That's what scares me. And how will we do as Christians when we have the faith in God to deliver us and strengthen us and get us through? We know the story of Esther. She was put on the block. We know the stories of some of the great heroes of our time. Some of you may not know the story, and I want to encourage you, if you want to read a, a very powerful book, because half of the book is, is a commentary of the book of Matthew about persecution and how Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes the commentary about Matthew and what they were going through as Christians. And then the book has Bonhoeffer's own history of what he did and other pastors like him where some churches in Germany when they heard the Nazis bringing a train 
to fill up for coal and water at the train stations and they heard the Jews crying. They sang their sins louder. But for people like Niemöller, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had the opportunity to stay in America with a very cushy job as a professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York City and wait out the war. He felt that God had called him to go back to Germany and stand up against the Nazi terrorism of Hitler. And he went back. He was part of a group called the Barnum Group. And even nursed a plot to kill Hitler. And in the process was taken to concentration camp for his faith. He wrote that book in that concentration camp and he wrote another book called Ethics. But four days before the Allies came to the concentration camp to liberate the American and also these prisoners. Heinrich Hitler Himmler, the communication chief, ordered that him and all those believers, those pastors, be stood on a bench, put a noose around their neck and kick the bench out, hanging them all. And it was the trust of Christ their ability to stand for the truth that caused them to go to victory in Jesus. And they withstood the test. Let's pray. Father in heaven right now, we just thank you for people of the past that have shown us how to be victorious in you. That love you, God, And that even in fearful times, they trusted you by faith and stood for what is right and what is true and what is honorable. And I pray Jesus Christ for each one of us as our society keeps on trying to push its way on us, push the false teachings and lies that we can stand tall in your word and in your truth and know that that truth sets us free and that we will be victorious in all that we do both now and into eternity and through you Christ we pray this amen Please stand for the benediction in our closing song. Now the God who caused the light to come out of darkness, shine in your hearts to bring his glory and honor through the truth that you share. Amen.